Uh, Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Uh, We continue in our series on Colossians this morning. Uh, With the purpose of ministry, our passage for this morning is Colossians 1.24 through 2.5. Now, before we read this passage, I just want to remind you of some of the things that Matthew taught in his sermon. Um, When he gave the historical background of this letter, he mentioned that the Gnostics were the false teachers and and, um, that Paul was trying to combat and address in this letter. Gnostics believed that gnosis, an esoteric and intuitive knowledge, was the way to salvation. This knowledge was extra-biblical, meaning this was not from God and his truth and his word. And only a few could attain the fullness of this knowledge. Now, I'll talk about this more later, but I just wanted to refresh us on that uh, so we can really listen and pay attention to the way that Paul words this letter. Let's pray. Lord, Father in heaven, we just thank you for this day and uh, for all the wonderful things that you have blessed us with. Um, We thank you for uh, being able to meet together with the saints and uh, being uh, free from persecution. And uh, Lord, we just pray that we would glorify you in all that we do, that we would rise above this world and truly honor you. I just um, pray that you would give me uh, clarity of speech and clarity of mind and uh, that you would open the hearts of those who are listening to this, Lord. I just thank you and praise you in your son's holy name. Amen. Now, if you would all would turn to Colossians 1.24 with me, let's we read the words of the Lord. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, I came across this outline of Paul's points of ministry. Um, It's it's an eight-point outline. It's actually back on the first slide. I had that out of order. Uh, it's, It's the source of the ministry, the spirit, the suffering, the scope, the subject, the style, the sum and the strength. Now the only problem with this is that we kind of have to start out of order, just like my PowerPoint. We have to start in 125A, not AB. Um, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Right off the bat, we see the source of Paul's ministry. It's God. God's the source of everything else in this world. Why wouldn't he be the source of Paul's ministry? Paul was made a minister of the gospel 
the gospel that was being claimed by creation. He was made a minister according to the stewardship that was from God. Now, there's a word that I just use there that we use a lot, and I just want to take a moment and pick it apart so we can fully and truly understand what it means. That word was stewardship. This comes from oikonomia, which is a which is a compound word of oikos, home, and nemo, manager. So it's literally home manager. This would be the person that would take care of the household for the master. They would pay the bills, do other things that need to be done, so that the master could travel or pursue other ventures. Now, we are called to be stewards. Who is the master of this universe? It's God. He, and everything in it is His. So we are called to take care of the affairs of our master. This is our ministry. And we should carry out this responsibility with joy. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. And we see that Paul starts out with, Now I rejoice. This is one of the most consistent things among Paul's writings. How many passages, how many letters does he start out with, Now I rejoice. Remember back to our uh, study that we did in small groups in Philippians? The overarching theme of that letter is joy. This should be the spirit of our ministry. Now, a lot of Christians have lost the joy in their ministry. And that comes from when you take your eyes off Christ and you become self-centered, that's when you lose your joy. A couple, uh, couple weeks ago, KT used an acronym for joy in his sermon. Does anybody remember what it is? I didn't even need this. Good job. People are listening when KT is speaking. Good. Um, we need to take joy in this. And what is our joy? The fact that God is in control. Now because of that fact, we need to understand that joy is independent of circumstance. Paul emphasizes this fact by saying, he was rejoicing in his suffering for their sake. We tend to have this attitude of why me when it comes to suffering. But we should rejoice in our suffering when we are suffering for Christ's sake. Because suffering, is for, suffering for his sake produces fruit in our lives. However, we should be careful to recognize when we are suffering for our own mistakes or our own sins. Take a look at the early church and the apostles, they considered a privilege to suffer for Christ's sake. We see this in Acts uh, 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now we come to a bit of a hard part in this passage to understand. And you, um, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Now, most people look at this verse and they make a case for purgatory, saying that Christ's death on the cross was not enough, enough to completely purge us of our sin, and so we have to make up for it after death. 
Now, to hold to that point of view, you have to completely ignore what was said in the previous section. In Colossians 1, 21, 22, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We have been presented holy and blameless. We are set apart. We are holy. There is nothing more that needs to be done. It is finished. What this is really saying is that Paul is taking the persecutions and the beatings that are intended for Christ. But because Christ is no longer with us on earth, these people turn and go after those that are following his will and doing his work. This is not a surprise to us, nor should it be. There is suffering that comes with the Christian life. We see this clearly over the course of the New Testament. Jesus says it in John 5, uh, 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And we know that suffering is a part of the Christian life. Look at Philippians one twenty nine, For it has been granted to you, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now, because we live in a Christian nation, we don't feel this physical abuse for Christ's sake, and we may not even feel the persecution. But we need to make sure that this is not a result of us hiding our faith or conforming to the world. We need to rise above this world. And we accomplish this by focusing on one thing, which brings us to the scope of the ministry. Now, because I'm a man... When I hear the word scope, the first thing I think of is the scope on a rifle. So naturally, I'm going to use that as my example here. When you look down the scope, you don't see this broad panoramic view. You see a small area in which the bullet is intended to go. Now, for those of you that don't play with guns, here is a good example. Now, you'll see that white little thing down there at the end, just barely see it. That's that. This is very focused. Now, this is to show us that our ministry should be narrow and focused on one thing, and that is the will of God. <clears throat> and we see the scope of Paul's ministry in 125b to make the Word of God fully known. <coughs> Now, most people tend to get overambitious uh, over and spread themselves too thin in their ministry. It, it renders it not as effective as it could be. It is true that we are to reach out to those that do not have Christ, but we need to do it in a way that God has called us to, whether that's just sharing one-on-one -on -one with a coworker or talking to somebody that you meet in a grocery store. Whatever ministry we have, the point is that we need to focus on one thing, and that's going to make our ministry effective, and that's the will of God. Now, when I'm referring to the will of God, I'm really talking about two things here. There's the broad, big-picture will of God, which is to make the Word of God fully known, and then there's the personal will of God for your life. And how do we discern what the will of God is for our lives? By studying His Word and listening and praying for his leading through the Holy Spirit, and then following that leading. Now, we need to make sure that our lives also fit in with this. 
if we are not making the Word of God fully known, a change needs to be made. And when we align ourselves with the will of God and are consistent in the study of His Word, the subject of our ministry becomes very clear. The subject of Paul's ministry we see in 126 through 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when I was studying in this, Matthew was sitting next to me, and he's like, wait, stop, stop. Read through that again. Just take in what Paul is saying here. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is one of those Paulisms. The more you read it, the less sense it makes. But it's just so beautiful because it makes sense when you know what he's talking about. The mystery was hidden for the ages, was not some rite or ceremony. This was the incarnate God indwelling us. This is our hope, and this is our glory. Christ in us. We are no longer to live, or we are no longer given to the death and eternal damnation that we are rightfully due. We have Christ in us. Now, Paul is continuously trying to make it perfectly clear to the Jewish believers that the Gentiles are equal in Christ's death and resurrection. And he does this again here. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glory that is Christ. It's important to remember that this was not revealed to us by the genius of man, but rather by the act and will of God. With that in mind, the subject of our ministry is Christ. Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians 122-23. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen? We see that there's actually a style to Paul's ministry as well. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now this word that's translated proclaim doesn't mean in a formal preaching setting. This is literally standing up wherever you are and proclaiming a truth publicly. So no matter where you are, who you're with, standing up and saying, Christ is my Lord and my hope of glory. But what is there to warn against? Well, false teaching, our adversary, the flesh, the world, and the deceitfulness of sin. And we're to do this with all wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean that we need to know everything. You don't need to know what the square root of pi is to properly warn everybody and, and proclaim Christ. But for anybody who's wondering, the square root of pi is 1.772453.85. Right? 
anybody who was wondering. Teaching with all wisdom means teaching with discernment. Discernment that comes with, from sound biblical teaching and the earnest study of his word. Now I want to take a moment and address what Paul was talking about when he says everyone in this passage. The Gnostics were teaching that the hidden knowledge was for a select few. By contrast, God is the source of all knowledge. And this knowledge he has revealed to us through Christ, and this is extended to anyone who will hear and believe. Now, when you put all of this together, what does it boil down to? What is the end result? We see the end result in Paul's ministry, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Presenting everyone mature in Christ, is this for our benefit or our pride? No, this is for God's glory, that he may be glorified in us and by all that we do. But how do we find being mature in Christ? After much debate on this subject, Matthew and I came up with these three simple guidelines for being mature in Christ. Remaining faithful to the gospel, being given to the fullness of the knowledge of God, meaning earnest study of his word and discerning the will of God in your life through prayer and listening for the leading of the Holy Spirit and following that leading and the discipline to continue in these things. That's great. But then God put this on my heart. <clears throat> Romans 12:9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate yourself with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So far, For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think that says it just a little bit better. We need to make sure that we are not only pursuing maturity in our lives, but also the lives of those we lead to Christ. Now, a lot of times somebody gets saved and we just kind of leave it at that. There are even churches that their whole purpose is the altar call to get people to come and confess that they believe in God. But then after that, they're left to fend for themselves. That clearly contradicts what Paul is saying here. We are to pursue maturity in every single person before Christ. I've thrown a lot out there for us in the way that we're to carry out our ministry. And if we do this alone, we will fail. This leads us to where the strength of our ministry comes from. For this I toil and struggle with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now, presenting everyone mature in Christ is what Paul is working for. 
what he is striving for. But notice he doesn't say, with all of my energy that I powerfully work within me. He says, all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is God's power. This is God's mighty and majestic power. This power is ever-present and ever-flowing. There is no end to the depths of God's power. We need to rely on God for our strength and energy. This is not a new concept. Let's jump back to the Old Testament for a moment. <clears throat> Isaiah 40:28 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now Paul has just laid out all these points of his ministry to the church at Colossae. And he's showing them that he loves them and that he has goals for them. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding and the knowledge of God, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am present with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order, and the firmness of your faith in Christ. <clears throat> Paul tells them why he's laying out for them the depths of his ministry. It's to show them that he has this great agonizing love. For I want you to know how great a struggle. This struggle, the word that's translated struggle here, actually is a word that we get agonizing from. <clears throat> and not just for those that he knows there, but for everyone who hasn't seen him face to face. Now this is, this is truly a sign of a good minister. Someone, because they love Christ, loves the church unconditionally and selflessly. Boy, if that's not a punch to the gut, I don't know what is. Actually, 1 John 4.21, this is where the punch to the gut comes. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, how many of you can honestly say that you love your brother? Not just have love for your brother, but show love and actually love your brothers and sisters. And not just your brothers and sisters here at The Great Adventure, but your brothers and sisters at ACC, AOBC, Hope, any of the other churches here in Dubuque, any of the other churches around the world. I can't. He tells them of the love that he has for them so that they may be encouraged and united in love. One of the most important things for the church is unity. We see this in Philippians 2.2. 2. 
complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, Paul follows this encouragement with yet another hit to Gnosticism. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants to make it very clear to them that there is no hidden knowledge apart from God. And that has been to reveal to us, and that is Christ. Finally, he tells them that even though he's not with them physically, he is with them in spirit. And through the things that he has written and instructed them, they can stand firm and not fall victim to false teachers. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I think it's important to note here that Paul uses this phrase, plausible arguments. In other translations, it's persuasive arguments. And in the Greek, it's literally exciting words. Now, there's a lot of new truths that are coming out about Christianity and the way that we view things. And unless it is absolute blatant heresy, a lot of Christians tend to buy into the lies. So we need to be consistent. We need to check things against Scripture. We need to make sure that it is lining up with what God says. Now what does this mean for us? We need to rise above this world. We need to boldly proclaim Christ crucified. We've all been called to ministry. We need to take care of our Master's affairs. We need to... We need to remain faithful to the gospel and we need to be given to the fullness of the knowledge of God, meaning earnest study of His Word and discerning the will of God in your life through prayer and listening and following that leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to have the discipline to continue in these things. Last, we need to rely on God for our strength. Lord, Father in Heaven, we just thank You again for this wonderful day and um, that you have allowed us to be here and given us breath that we may come here. Lord, I just pray that we would be able to rely on you for strength and that we would make your, your word fully known uh, in our lives and in our speech and in our actions, Lord. I just pray that these, uh, these words would not be quickly forgotten, but that we, would, that we would take these to heart, that we would maul over them for the next week and truly uh, come to an understanding of what you want us to do um, in our ministry. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of us that we would truly be a steward of what you have given us. We just thank you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.